podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Christ is risen. Amen. And that is why we're here. Amen. You know, um, I don't dream a whole lot, but a couple of nights ago, I had this dream. And it was a dream about speaking. It was about this Sunday. It was, you know, when I go to sleep, I have to read like something very non-heady. Like I have to read some fiction or something like that. Because if I don't, I tend to just dwell on whatever the most important thing in my life is at that moment, which is most of the time my wife, which is great. So, got you. So, but, um, you know, a couple nights ago, I was just, I mean, it, it didn't matter what I was doing. All I could think about was this sermon. So I went to sleep and I had this very vivid dream and there was room was, was filled just like this. And I got through my introduction. I was looking at my notes. I got done with my introduction. And when I looked up, there were only two people left in the crowd. <laughs> and I remember thinking, all right. This is a great start, and I don't need a microphone, obviously. And, you know, uh, the two people who were in the room, one was um, uh, Vanessa Leon, who's a, who was a daughter of the house. Um, it was interesting that she was there. But the other was Jonathan Swindle, our worship pastor. And he, I was like, out of anybody, he's just faithful, you know. And you know how in dreams, it's just, you're like semi-omniscient. Like sometimes you have no idea what's happening. Other times you know exactly what's going on. Well, I looked up, I have this microphone in my hand and I look up and Jonathan, bless his heart, he's just looking right at me. Just so encouraging, you know? And I knew exactly what he was communicating with his eyes. He said, you still have to use the mic for the podcast. (laughs) I was like, Thanks, brother. I'm so encouraged right now. And then I woke up. So I am excited for what God's going to say to you today. Man, it's going to be good. And you're still here. So praise the Lord. This is a good start. The passage for this sermon, that was really for me to warm up, honestly. Um, But it's a true story. It's a true story. It was a dream I had two nights ago. So the passage for today is found in Malachi chapter three, verses one through four. So let's read that together. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Heavenly Father, this morning, we bless your holy name. And we just desire you to come and be in this place. We have come to this house seeking you. And we just pray that you would suddenly show up, Father, and that you would show up in ways that are surprising to us, in ways that were unexpected, would you show this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. There's so much going on when we read from the Old Testament, especially the prophets, because what is happening in the prophets like the book of Malachi or Isaiah God is speaking a specific message 
to his people. It's a specific message to a specific people in a specific context that are experiencing specific things. And, you know, whereas when we look at Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, what we see is the story of God relating to his people. But when we read the prophets, what we see is God sending a message to his people. And so for us to really get everything we're going to get out of the scripture, we have to do a little bit of work. We have to begin to dig into this context because we want to get the most, the, the, the most clear or the clearest picture of what God is trying to say to his people. So I want to start this morning by kind of giving you some background to what was going on when Malachi delivered this word. Number one, Malachi was written probably um, right around the same time as Nehemiah. So Nehemiah wrote, uh, was the story of Cyrus when he released those who were in exile to go back to, the, to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild the city. And so Malachi, shortly after Nehemiah, Malachi writes this letter. And uh, after being restored to the promised land and rebuilding uh, Jerusalem, the people of God had fallen into a spectrum between apathetic and antagonistic toward the covenant with God and with God himself. So there's these common issues and themes in Malachi. One is just this perversion of the sacrificial system. And what that means is, you know, in Deuteronomy, you see God say, when you bring a sacrifice uh, to me, that you'll bring uh, a sacrifice that is without blemish, that it's not to be blind, it's not to be lame. And yet what we see in Malachi is the Levites are bringing unacceptable sacrifices before the Lord. Another is this routine violation of the Sabbath. So where the Sabbath was meant to be set aside as holy unto the Lord, the Israelites had fallen into this kind of laissez-faire attitude where they would do whatever they wanted to do, regardless of the Sabbath. There's the cheapening of the tithe, that God was, had asked his people to give 10%, and there was uh, some times where they wouldn't give the full 10%. Um, and then finally, there was a lot of social exploitation. I think that's a, a good way to say it. The, the poor, the orphan, and the widow were being overlooked in the day-to-day -day living uh, of the society in Jerusalem. And overlaying, overlaying the entire book of Malachi is this feeling of resistance and an antagonistic insolence with God. And the reason we can see that is because, you know, Malachi is unique in all of the Old Testament in its structure. It's formed, it's formatted in a way that you don't see it in any other book in scripture. And basically what it is, it's, a, it's basically a record of God speaking to his people and his people arguing with him. He comes and he says, here, I've, God would say something or he'd ask a question and Israel's, Malachi would record Israel's response. Are you sure? And it was always this feeling of argumentativeness. And so basically a lot, of, a lot of commentators on this would uh, say that the ardor and the zeal of the people who had returned from the exile now have been living for a while in the land and they had become distracted by the mundane 
and in the day-to-day living, the most important thing to them had become pleasure. So Malachi writes, and, and you know, there are six what there are six disputations in in that make up the book of Malachi. And uh, the four, so here's an example. The, Malachi starts out in chapter one, verse one and two, saying, this is a prophecy or an oracle, the word of Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? And some, you know, and it would be easy to read that and think, oh man, Israel's just seeking out. Well, Lord, just how have you loved us? Show us how you love us. But to really get the, the, the tenor of the scripture, I like what the, the, the translation that the message provides for us. It says, the message says it this way. Verse one, a message. God's word to Israel through Malachi. God said, I love you. You replied, really? <laughs> really? How have you loved us? And I think it just catches the heart of Israel's response. This question isn't a question seeking for understanding, but it's a statement. It's a question that is a statement. And those of you who have children know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like we experience this with our kids. Really? They're not, they're not asking you for your opinion. They're, they're trying to say, you don't really do this. It's a statement of unbelief. And that's what we see. The book of Malachi, this whole thing, it's all about God saying, I have loved you. And Israel saying, really, how? How have you loved us? And I think it's important to begin. You know, our passage is found in chapter three, but it's important for us to begin with chapter one. The very first question, the very first statement of the Lord is, I love you. You know, because Malachi, the rest of the book, you see God bringing to the table reprimands. Saying, listen, guys, stop violating the Sabbath. Levites, stop perverting the sacrifices. And I think it's easy sometimes to confuse reprimand with the purpose of the reprimand. And here I think God just sets the context. He says, listen, I love you. I love you. It's important for us to remember, even this morning as we dive into God's word, as we seek out what he's trying to say to us, that it's impossible for us to separate God's love from his intentions and his work. God is love. That's what 1 John tells us. God is love. And if we understand that, that means no matter how painful the work or how painful the reprimand or no matter what is going on around us, if God is working and we as his people assume that God is working, isn't that the message that we heard today? That God is moving and he's working. And if we know that God is love, then we know that everything he does is attached to this one truth, that, that it's love. In Matthew chapter 22, this is so powerful. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, scripture says this, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He being Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does that tell us about the Old Testament? What does that tell us about going to Malachi and looking for what God might be telling us? That all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. And and the question we should always ask ourselves when we approach scripture is, how does this help me to love God and to love others? Because all of the law and all of the prophets hinge on that. So this morning, as we dive into Malachi, I want to invite you to set the context for yourself to say, Lord, I'm putting my faith and my trust in this truth. That whatever is said, you are loving me and you're inviting me to love you and to love others. Amen? So looking at this, this uh, passage for this Sunday, Malachi chapter three, verses one through four, it's difficult to understand if we don't understand the argument that's being made. So we understand that Malachi is a book of disputations, a book of arguments. So what is the argument for this passage? Well, just a couple of verses before Malachi chapter 3 is Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. God begins with a statement. You have wearied the Lord with your words. (laughs) Well, how? Really? (laughs) Right? How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? This is the argument. This is kind of the context of the passage that we're going to be diving into today. So what do we learn from this? What do we understand about the context? Well, I think there's two ways you can read the the meaning and understand the meaning of Israel's statements about God. Number one, this is an accusation from Israel about God. In other words, you haven't done the things that we expected you to do. You're pleased with those who do evil. So we've got this whole mindset. This is what you should be doing and you haven't been doing it. So obviously you must love, you must love evildoers. So where is this God of justice? The message actually translates this a different way and gives us a different perspective. It says, you make God tired with all your talk. Well, how do we tire him out, you ask? By saying God loves sinners and sin alike. God loves all. And also by saying judgment, God's too nice to judge. One's an accusation. Another is this kind of this relativism. Well, I don't have to, I don't have to honor the Sabbath. God doesn't really care about all that. And I'm going to just make room to give whatever sacrifice I want to give. Whatever the the meaning, whether accusation or, or a statement about a worldview, I think what we see here is a grossly inaccurate view of who God is. In both of those, that God doesn't care about justice, God is in just himself, and this, is, this just reveals the, the, 
the view that Israel had of God that is so distant and so far from who God truly is. Remember, God starts off, he says, I, hey, I love you. And Israel can't even receive that. I say, really, how? You're not a God of love. And the lesson I think we can draw from this today is we must constantly pursue an understanding of who God is. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. And this is exactly what we see in Malachi. According to Israel, God has become either completely unjust or thoroughly relativistic. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that God says, I'm wearied by your words. Here, the Levites are coming before them. They're offering these sacrifices that really reveal the condition of their heart. And God says, how can I, I'm wearied by your worship of me. A.W. Tozer continues, this is from his book, Knowledge of the Holy. It says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. The psalmist agrees in Psalm 115, verses four through eight, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. We are formed into the image of the God that we see and serve. If I believe that God is an angry judge, then I will be formed according to that image. And I will see myself as judged. And I will see every bad thing that happens in my life as a judgment. If I believe that God's primary concern is my happiness, then I will be formed into the consummate consumer. And listen, this is, let me just define this for you. This is what a consumer is. A consumer is someone who consumes what they think they need based on what they want. So our determined, you know, the person who comes to a service and they determine whether worship service was good or not based on whether they felt good about it is a consumer. They determine whether or not the sermon was anointed based on them feeling like they got something out of it. We do this to scripture. This phrase is so indicative of the consumer. I didn't get anything out of the scriptures. I didn't get anything out of worship. I didn't get it. Listen, I don't think God's inviting us to get stuff out of his scripture. He's inviting us to be changed by it. When I'm standing in worship and I think, God, I'm not getting anything. Ask yourself this question. How are you trying to change me? I believe that God's primary, 
that God's desires, his purposes, his presence must always, always be the standard by which my appetites are aligned. Not the other way around. The desires of my heart, the appetites of my life must be congruent with who God is and what he wants to do. Not the other way around. And we live in a society where the preeminent value is what I can get out of it. I'm going to change my job because I'm not getting anything out of it. Remember, God loves us. Thank you, Jesus. You know, as I was meditating on this, I had to ask myself this question. What are the prophecies of the latter prophets, which Malachi um, is, is one of the latter prophets, what are they meant to accomplish in us? Is it just so that we feel good? Is it just our encouragement? As I've been studying the Old Testament, and I've been studying systematically from Genesis through all the way through Malachi, I've found a couple of staples in terms of what God wants scripture to accomplish in us. And the first thing is this. I, I, I see that scripture is meant to confront and, a challenge, and challenge assumed beliefs. That God's word is meant to confront us. It's meant to challenge us. And listen, we may not even understand. We might walk away with more questions, but that is the process of maturation. It's actually a good thing to not always have an answer. The second is this. And I think the, 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 over the arc of the Old Testament, Scripture is meant to subvert ungodly perspectives of God and people. That's, that's what's happening here in Malachi. God's confronting them and he's trying to subvert, he's trying to bring down these wrong perceptions about God and about people. That's why there's such an emphasis on the widow and the orphan, the people we want to, to get away from, the people that make us uncomfortable. God's saying, no, 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 you need to draw near to that. Scripture is meant to call, it calls for a change in attitude toward God and people. It's so, so here's the thing. I think this is something I am preeminently guilty of. So I'm putting myself out there. I'm gonna be very vulnerable with you. But most of the time when I pick up my Bible to read it, it's, I'm looking for something to encourage me. And that is not to take away from the encouraging nature of God's word. I'm not trying to take away from that. But that cannot be the lens with which I come to scripture. You know what's really going to encourage you? Truth. But if we only come to the scriptures with this idea that I want to be encouraged, then we will only, we will only look for the things that encourage us. Okay, just think about the consumer. You're hungry. You, you want to eat. Have you ever been here? You're hungry. Man, you're so hungry. So you, st you just start going through all your cabinets. And you're like, oh, there's something. Oh, carrots. Uh, 
I'm gonna look for something else. I'm gonna dig through here. I'm gonna dig, oh man, some uh, chips. I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not really feeling it. And you just, you can be, you can be starving, quote unquote, but you just won't eat anything because nothing fits where you're at. I just don't feel like eating this. I'd rather starve. I'd rather just sit and mope in my hunger than actually eat something that might be healthy for me. So I'll let you draw whatever implications you want to draw from that. You know, I think, you know, when I look at Malachi and I look at Isaiah and I look at Genesis, I look at the New Testament, I see that it, scripture calls us to conformity of heart, strength, and mind to God. God, I'm not looking to stay where I'm at, says the disciple. I'm, I'm looking for you to shape me, says the clay to the potter. And unless we do that, then I think our perception of who God is will always be skewed. It will always be skewed by our situation. It'll always be skewed by our experiences growing up, the kind of household that you grew up in. And, and not to say that these aren't places where God can't speak to us. They are definitely where God wants to speak to us. What I'm submitting to you is that God wants to speak his word into those circumstances, not our word. So this morning, as we come to Malachi, my prayer is that we would ask, God, how can I be changed? Not God, what can I get? So this is the, this, this is the setting. The table has been set for today's passage. In Malachi chapter three, starting in verse one. And what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm just gonna walk through each verse and we're just gonna try to dig. And we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit. God, what are you bringing to light and how can we be changed by it? So Malachi chapter three, verse one, just the first part of it, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Let's just stop there for a second. The literal Hebrew phrase translated prepare the way, it actually means to remove any and all obstacles or hindrances. So there's a messenger that is coming to, a better translation would probably be clear a way for God. I'm gonna send this messenger and he's gonna remove all the hindrances. And we've heard this before. We've heard this scripture before because it's actually utilized in the New Testament in reference to John. Most scholars attach this verse in Malachi to Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, which is used in the New Testament as a prophetic proclamation concerning John the Baptist, whose message was a clarion call for God's people to prepare the way, to remove the obstacles, keeping them from experiencing the coming of God. And I think what scripture is revealing to us is that when we remove those, um, God is calling us, I'm sorry, God is calling us to remove obstacles that may be keeping us from experiencing more of God in our lives. For each and every one of us, there are different quote unquote hindrances to knowing God. 
And while it's God's work to transform us, I think he asks us to do some work, to remove the obstacles. This is why Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And it's easy, it's easier for us to say, okay, sin, we're gonna get our checklist from scripture and this is all the sin. So God, I'm gonna throw those things aside. But it's much harder to identify the hindrances because not all hindrances are sin. While all sin may hinder, not all that hinders is sin. So we've gotta do some work here. We've gotta invite the Holy Spirit. God, what is keeping, is it, is it just, Binge watching TV, is that keeping me from you? Is that a hindrance? What is it? So now I, I just, I leave this to you. I, I don't know. I could list all kinds of stuff and really just reveal more about me than I really feel comfortable doing, okay? And Pastor Jade is just like, go ahead, son. I need to hear that. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is here. And I believe that he's speaking to you right now, inviting you to draw nearer to him. Moving to the next part of Malachi chapter three, verse one. Then suddenly, I love that. That, that Hebrew word suddenly actually has the, um, the feeling of being surprised. So it's, it's this sudden like you're, you're walking along and bam, whoa, there he is. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know you were gonna be here, but praise God. I'm surprised. And suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi draws a clear connection here between the removing of obstacles and the Lord coming to his table or to his temple. And I don't think this is arbitrary and I don't think it's incidental that when we are faithfully removing obstacles that hinder us from running the race, we can trust that God will suddenly appear when we least expect it. So my, my hope in saying that is to encourage you. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Continue to work, not because you're purifying yourself or changing yourself, but because it opens the door. It postures you in such a place as to experience God more fully. The word seeking in this verse, it says, the Lord you are seeking is actually connected back to the original question, where is the God of justice? So Malachi is actually making this connection. He says, where's the God of justice? You know, this kind of this snot-nosed response. Where's the God of justice? And so you can hear the irony here. Malachi's like, oh, this God that you're seeking, that you're asking for to show up, oh, he is gonna show up. And the implication is he's gonna show up in such a way that you didn't really think he was going to show up. He, he's gonna come and shatter your expectations. He's going to come and, and it's not gonna be what you thought he was gonna be. And I think that's important for us today to remember 
that when God reveals himself, it's often drastically different than what we wanted or expected. But, but knowing his love for us, we can trust that he will show up in the way that we need. It may not be what we want. It may not be what we expected, but thank you, God, for loving us and showing up in the way that we needed. I didn't even know I needed you that way. I didn't even know. When I was in college, I, I, I just believed. I, I have a huge, huge, huge destiny in the Lord. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to change the world. And I had this experience where where I just felt like the Lord was not around. And I was seeking him. I was seeking him with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of, I was reading my Bible every night. I was just so distraught. And here's, here's the thing. It wasn't until there was this moment. I was doing all the works. and I was trying so hard. And there was this moment where I kind of got sick of it all. I said, I don't care about this. God, I don't care about doing the right things. I don't, what I care about right now is I just, God, I, I want you. That's it. I, I need you, Lord. If there's, no, if I have no destiny, if nothing ever happened, if, you know, and as you know, as a young person, just so emotional, you know, you're just in the, just as extreme as you possibly can go, you know. God, if I never see another soul again, <laughs> I just want you. <laughs> I just need you, Lord. But I'll tell you what, the moment that it, it's like a prayer that jumps past the mind. There's no real thought behind it. It's just this yearning that it just breaks forth and it skips the mind entirely. And it just, you know, it's straight into heaven. And in that moment, guys, God showed up. Even the good things in our lives can be hindrances. There are times when Maybe Bible reading is a hindrance. And I think the point is, is that it's not that, that we just do the work, it's that we let go of the things that are hindering us. I was sharing with some of the people who had joined me for pre-service prayer about this image that the Lord gifted me when I was in high school. And I'm not a I'm not a highly, what you would call a prophetic person. I don't, I don't see a lot of pictures or dreams. Um, praise the Lord, since that first dream about this message and you guys leaving, I'm like, God, thank you for that I'm not prophetic. But, <laughs> you know, I did, I did, the Lord did gift me this image. And in this image, I had all this baggage, like just so much baggage, carrying so much weight. And I'm in this tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel, it's like the fulfillment. I don't know what else to call it. It's like, I'm, it's whatever that is, it's there. The Lord is drawing me near to him. And every step I take, I'm drawing near and I'm drawing closer. But the tunnel, as I move forward, decrease in size. And eventually, 
at some point, I get stuck. And unless I let go, unless I let go of some of this baggage, I can't move forward. So I just, in this, in this image, I would let go of just one bag. And it was like, oh, I can move. Yeah, I feel way more comfortable, Lord. And I'm gonna continue moving forward. And then just a little while later, it's too tight. The pressure of life is coming down on me. And here's the funny thing about pressure. We want to hold on all the more tightly to the things that we're comfortable with. We're used to the baggage. We're used to the weight. But when it gets real tight, we want to hold more closely to it. But I think God's inviting us to let it go. To drop the baggage. And to draw near. Malachi chapter three, verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. This is, this is where we really see the flesh of the unexpected arrival of God. They're saying, God of justice, show up. And whenever you see that, really what they're saying is, God, do what I want you to do. Because if it's not what I want, then it's not just. You're not being just to me, Lord. And God shows up and he says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And the obvious answer here, the rhetorical question that Malachi sets up is no one, no one can stand in the presence of this God who is an all-consuming fire. And I think the lesson that we can draw from this is that when we come into contact, when we allow ourselves to come into contact with the living God, we cannot remain the same. It's just not possible. Who can endure the refining flame that is God? Number one, be encouraged. You know, it's easy for the enemy to distract us and to get us to think that we haven't changed and we haven't grown because I'm going around the same mountain again. It's easy to think that. But listen, the truth is God is changing you. You are in the process of being changed. And you might fall today, but the way you fall today was different than yesterday. And the way that you fall tomorrow will be different than the way you fall right now. So don't let, the, don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy convince you that you're just the same person. You're not because God is for you. Who can be against you? The second thing is, even though the process of purification is painful, allow God to continue. Don't run from the pain of purification. Because here's the thing, you guys, it is the source of our transformation. The Hebrew word here used for soap, I know that's an interesting, it's like I randomly chose a word. Uh, this one looks good. Soap. Let's just look at that. The Hebrew word used for soap here is actually only used in one other place in scripture. And I want to read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 22 says, although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me. Listen, we can't wash ourselves clean. Can't do it. It's just not possible. All we can do is remain in the fire. 
and allow God to do the transforming. The transforming. Verse three, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. I'm coming to the end here. Just give me a little, few more minutes. What's interesting about this verse is there's a switch from God as being the refining fire, he's the flame, to God as the refiner. We're told to picture a metal worker seated at his work. So in the previous verse, it says God's going to show up as a fire, a refiner's fire. And then he immediately turns around and he goes, but he's also going to come as the refiner, the metal worker. No longer the flame. God is now the artisan. Whereas verse two expresses the unpleasantness of the process of purification, this verse suggests the skill and attentiveness of the divine artisan at work. One scholar describes it this way. God's refining of his people always involves a concrete goal or purpose, i.e. cleansing and purification. Something precious will always result from the process. God's gonna come as a fire, but he also comes as the one who works on us. And, And just imagine the sweat and the tears of the artisan as he pours himself into his project his work. And it's not that we're just a project. God wants to shape us in such a way as to experience more of him. Malachi chapter three, uh, verses three and four. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Listen, the result of the Levites' purification. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will also be purified and acceptable. What what is happening here? God's saying, listen, if I purify the Levites, then I can expect that purity will result in the people. And it's, you know, it's, in order to understand the final verse, I think it's imperative for us to understand the priesthood and the role because it goes beyond just an intermediary between me and God. One of the primary roles, and and I believe Jonathan mentioned this in his sermon uh, in Nehemiah, but one of the roles of the priesthood was the training of God's people in living and obeying everything that God had commanded them in real life. So there would be all these laws that that the people of Israel would learn as they grew, but it was the role of the priesthood to actually help them apply that to real life. Why is this important? Because I think today we understand that we are a royal priesthood. And we take that to mean is we take that to mean I don't need an intermediary, I can just go be with God by myself. But one of one of the primary roles of the priesthood is to disciple the next generation. In other words, we are to be discipled so that we can disciple. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. Skipping down to verse 20 and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If we go back to Matthew, when Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. It's really interesting if you think about the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't answer just one. He says, hey, this is the greatest commandment and... 
And I was meditating on that this morning. And what occurred to me is that the reason Jesus did that was because you cannot separate the second one from the first. They ask for one and Jesus says, well, I'll give you the one, but you also have to remember this because you can't separate the two. If you're gonna love God, you're gonna love people. And I need to, I just, this morning, in closing, I am challenging you. Pour your life into somebody. I know that we're busy. I know that life, I mean, it gets stressful, but pour your life into someone in this community. Find out if there's places you can volunteer in the children's ministry and minister to the hearts of those children. Pour into them. That is your calling as a royal priesthood. It always bothers me when I hear someone say, well, children's ministry is not, that's not, I'm not really called to that. Yes, you are. You, why I, you, know, you wanna know why? Because you're a part of this royal priesthood. And you may not be very good at it at first, but that's a good thing because God wants to change you. He wants to grow you. He wants to mature you. Well, I'm not really good at guests. Get there. I don't know what else to tell you. And I'm not trying to, listen, I'm not trying to be all, what's the word? Punitive here. What I'm trying to share with you this morning and ushers or the communion workers, I'm sorry if you can go ahead and come forward. What I am attempting to communicate with you this morning and what I believe, it's not me trying to communicate with you. I believe this is what Malachi is trying to communicate to the people of God of which we are a part. That God wants, God wants to draw near to us and he wants us to draw near to him. And he wants us to love him with all, his, with all our soul, strength, and mind. And he wants us to love others as we love ourselves. I think God is inviting, this, this kind of word is an invitation to go a little bit deeper. God, listen, Antioch Church, God is calling you to a deeper relationship with him. And if you're wondering what that looks like, read Malachi. That means do the hard work, the relational work of identifying what hinders you. Not a checklist, not a checklist from scripture. Well, I'm, I'm fulfilling the 10 commandments, so I'm A-okay. No, that, listen, okay, that's great. But what is God saying to you? As we come to the table, it's my hope and my prayer that we can come to this table grateful for the work of Jesus because here's what his work does. He makes it possible for the path to be cleared. He makes it possible. We couldn't do it on our own, but Jesus makes it possible. All we have to do is partner with him. And the table is an expression of that partnership. God, I'm taking the bread and I'm, I'm, I'm digesting it so that it becomes a part of me and I become a part of it. And this blood that washes me clean individually, it calls me to bear the burdens of those around me. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.